0: They just think, I either have it or I don't. And if I don't have it, then I give up. If I have it, great, I move on. And it's as simple or black and white to them as that. Relationships too, that can be a challenge or barrier. If there's nobody around them that's like-minded or that they can relate to, again, they go back to that uh, they're on their own island or they are their own island, they're isolated. So what you really have to do to help them understand that you don't always have to directly go from point A to point B, that's, we, we can work through this, is you have to teach them so that they can learn processes and persistence, that everything is a life lesson.
1: Hello, and welcome to NCAGT's podcast, They'll Be Fine. I'm Alexia Rose, an educator and NCAGT board member. Time and time again we hear, they'll be fine, they're smart, they're already ahead of the game, when we refer to gifted learners. Because of this sad misconception, too many students fail to reach their potential because they do not receive appropriately challenging curriculum and services. The National Association for Gifted Children reports that 73% of teachers agreed that too often, the brightest students are bored and underchallenged in school. We're not giving them a sufficient chance to thrive. Our nation's education policies narrowly focus on the achievement gap for struggling learners, which is extremely problematic for the widening X-link gap faced by high-ability students. Most regular classroom teachers do not receive adequate training to recognize and address the needs of high-ability learners. This is even more pronounced for children of color, English language learners, and children from low-income backgrounds. In addition, these teachers are under a prohibitive amount of pressure to close the achievement gap of their struggling students. While this is an important measure, it shouldn't be at the expense of our gifted and talented students. Here at NCAGT, we believe that it is up to us as parents, educators, and stakeholders to provide the gifted community the support that they rightfully deserve listen to they'll be fine to learn more about what you can do to ensure that your gifted and talented scholars are provided the resources they need to thrive we're here because the saying they'll be fine just isn't good enough mrs brian hudak is an advocate and supporter of gifted and talented individuals and gifted education she is a member of sing the national association for gifted children NCAGT, the World Council for Gifted and Talented Children and she is currently serving as a Singh state liaison for North Carolina. Mrs. Hudak is a current doctoral student of educational leadership, focusing on combating underachievement in the gifted. She is also an adjunct professor at Western Carolina University, a certified gifted and talented educator, and an educational consultant. She is a 15 year veteran of education who has served in a variety of roles, including a K 12 school teacher, assistant principal, dean of students, and curriculum and instruction specialist. In today's episode, we focus on motivation and underachievement in gifted learners. It was a wonderful conversation, and we hope you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And what brought you into the world of education?
0: I've wanted to be an educator since I was little. I had a really great elementary school and elementary school experience. And I thought that the most wonderful job was being a teacher. I admired and respected my teachers so much. And I was fortunate that they challenged me and saw me for who I was and they allowed me to be creative and just uh, blossom and flourish. So when I was starting to look at careers, I I like communications. I like theater. I like journalism. I like psychology, but I felt like, what's the core? What's at the heart of all that? Education. And so it just propelled me to be an educator. And I have really enjoyed just assuming different roles and responsibilities throughout my career. My belief is the more I can learn, I'm a lifelong learner, the more I can learn and grow and develop in these areas, the better educator I can be and the better I can provide for students and families and communities.
1: I did notice that you have so much different experiences you have under your belt. I was like, oh my goodness, this woman has done it all. So you're currently a doctoral student, you are a professor, a veteran teacher, and an education mm-hmm. consultant. So that's just right now. Correct. <laughs> that is insane. Yes. You've yes. done so much. <laughs> what is the name of
0: life? With education, I wanted to experience as much as possible and just move up the levels and get an idea of what education is like at these different roles. Um, so I started as a second grade teacher in a public school and loved it. And and my second year, I actually taught single gender education. And I got to learn a lot about uh, whole brain learning. And what's the difference between how boys learn how girls learn, and you know, what strategies are going to help them meet their needs. And From there, I piggybacked at the same time and was fortunate to have a lot of students that had been identified gifted and talented in my classes. But in second grade in South Carolina, you don't get that identification until third grade. You take the tests and then in third grade, you're identified. So I had them in my class and I was blown away by them. I thought they were just the most unique and special and exceptional students. And I wanted to know more and more about them. Growing up again, like I was saying, I had the opportunity to unlock my creativity and it just soar. And so I wanted to make sure I gave them those opportunities. So I really identified and wanted to help those students and support them, and it became my passion. So second grade, I went after that, after teaching a lot of gifted and single gender, I went to third grade. And I wanted to do third grade because those were the standardized testing grades where it started Mm -hmm. in elementary school, and again, where students were identified gifted. And so then I was able to have larger clusters and really learn about differentiating instruction and what those needs were. I got my gifted and talented endorsement during that time. I started mentoring after school organizations for them so that they could really work on their skills and their abilities. And I took that from third grade up to fourth grade to fifth grade. So I just kept going up the, the grade levels. And then after that, I went from, I transitioned from public school to private school, and I taught preschoolers all the way up to fifth graders. And of course, in private school, it's not the same identification process. So again, I was just inserting students in these different classes, learning more about them, watching them grow and develop. And what was neat about that opportunity was I had them year after year. I taught them global studies. I taught them STEM. I was, uh, um, I wasn't a regular ed classroom teacher. I was a special area teacher and I got to incorporate the performing arts and design engineering. So I really saw their curiosity get sparked and I was able to work on how to fail and what that can do and how that can benefit you later on so yeah lots of neat opportunities there after that i got my master's degree in administration and supervision and i went to a public charter school and worked as a curriculum and instructional specialist since i had been in all these different grade levels serving in all these different educational settings i could really just nail down standards and build from those so i took my love of gifted and talented and special education, and plugged that into how to differentiate instruction. After curriculum and instruction, I went to, and that was a great opportunity to learn really how to hone in on social emotional development. So wonderful, wonderful thing there. I was able to work on how to be proactive rather than reactive and how to look at the positive and growth mindsets. Then I became an assistant principal, then moved up to a K through 12 public charter school leader. After that, I took a little time off. I had a baby. I had a baby during COVID, so he is a COVID baby. <laughs> and during that time, I shifted gears. I got great advice from somebody I worked with who said, if you can take some time off and enjoy the baby stage mm-hmm. and having a toddler. And I said, okay, I'll do it. It was really hard because education is it was number one to me. And I, like I said, I shifted. So I went and started my, I had just begun my doctoral program, but I really went all in. (laughs) And then I decided I wanted to do educational leadership with the goal of how can I be a school leader that, provides equity for for all? And how can I advocate for this special education population of exceptional learners that need people to know that they're, I call it over under, overlooked and underserved and what can we do about them? And so that was my goal there with the doctoral program. From there, uh, after moving here to the mountains of Western North Carolina, I was able to get an adjunct professor position where I do field supervision for aspiring educators. And I get to teach introductory classes at the Honors College and just prepare honors and advanced students for what to come academically Mm -hmm. and social emotionally in school, in in the university. So yeah, that's my educational pathway. A lot of different steps, but amazing opportunities. And it, it really has given me the experience to know a lot of different avenues and what is important for the success of the students.
1: And I think that all, like having all of those different experiences, you can pick and choose all of the incredible things that you saw at all of the different stages and share that with others. I think that is so incredible. Exactly. Honestly, sounds like a dream. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel like I've watched kids too, because I've seen kids now from the preschool level up to the university level. And it's just so neat to be able to say, I know how I've I've watched kids develop. I know what it looks like to be in primary, elementary, middle, high, going to secondary. And I can, like you said, uh, just pull best practices from each and be like, I I know what you're going through and I'm going to tell you how to prepare for your next step.
1: So today's episode is going to focus on motivation and achievement of gifted learners. So if you could give us a quick rundown of how does motivation impact achievement?
0: Sure. And I wanted to uh, say first, the title of the podcast, They'll Be Fine, is so perfect because I don't know who came up with the name, but I have to give credit because it, it just fits what is out there for the gifted population. I just did a presentation here. Like you said, I I do educational consulting. I just finished up a presentation where I had um, a person come up to me afterwards and say, I didn't even know that this was a special population. And I work with special education students. I didn't know Twice Exceptional was a special population. And had I known that, I would have looked differently at these students throughout my professional career. And she, the person mentioned, I always thought those learners, advanced, high ability, high potential, gifted, whatever you know, title went with them, that they were fine, that mm-hmm. they are soaring, they're coasting. And I said to the person, here's the thing, they're a population of outliers. Uh, they don't think about things and perceive the world as average intelligence people do. And in any case of outliers, we have to make sure that we respond appropriately to them and serve them appropriately. And, you know, it was just, she had her aha moment during my presentation to just say, wow, I, I didn't even know this was out there. And I didn't know that they they had specialized needs that needed to be met so yeah i mean it was i just thought that was such a great connection that they'll be fine so motivation is a key to achievement i think it, it couples and works with support setting the environment and just overall engagement to create that safe space where gifted learners are recognized and developed. So it it is key to supporting these learners.
1: So when you say recognize and develop, I know that different schools have different strategies. From your experience, could you give us a little teacher tip of what maybe they can do to help advocate in that process?
0: There's a lot of different things educators can do When I have coached and mentored uh, educators in this topic, I always encourage them to be creative and really encourage the critical thinking in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, they have to set up a supportive environment. And by supportive, that's an environment that recognizes academic and social emotional needs. Mm -hmm. I think that's really key to just environmental Setups overall communication just regularly communicating with the individual like you were saying checking in how are you you don't know until you know and also communicating and collaborating with a support team creating a, and designating a support team to again meet the academic and social emotional needs and not putting it all on an educator's plate but allowing others to provide expertise and feedback. Um, I think another area is differentiating instructions. That's huge. Offering those students that are ready to go above and beyond the opportunity to go above and beyond. And I've sat down with educators who say, oh, that, you know, I'll just give them more worksheets or I can give them, you know, instead of one book, I'll give them two. And it's like, no, that's not, in differentiating instruction that's going to be beneficial to them. That's just work overload. What gifted learners want with differentiated instruction is they want you to meet them at their ability level. They want you to realize that they, you know, if they're in second grade and they read at a fifth or sixth grade level, find something that's appropriate for them to read from that level. Or, you know, if they can do math computations and they're in elementary school and they can do them at middle and high school levels, find something online that is a program to allow them to work on those strategies and those formulas and those equations. So I think it's very important to understand what differentiated instruction is and what it's not. It's not extra work for these learners. It's not just piling stuff onto them to keep them busy. It's really getting them to work on their level so that they can become more interested and more involved in their education.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about how intrinsic and extrinsic motivation differ in the context of gifted learners?
0: Sure, so intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, I think complement each other, they're complementary. If you really wanna see lasting results, intrinsic motivation has to be strong, has to be solid and it has to be fostered. So to foster this, educators have to be willing to take a deep dive into the individual. You know, we'd love to take deep dives into our content, but it's so important to take a deep dive into the individual and see what makes them tick. That, you know, that includes knowing their interests, learning their styles, you know, how are they going to learn best? (laughs) And it allows for personalized approaches. And when personalized approaches take place, the person feels recognized, seen and appreciated. Great example, if they like, let's say geology, you work that into the programming and you connect it to positive results. So you could say something like geologists have to sort through a lot of information and they have to properly identify and uh, categorize their findings could could you sort through this math problem and uncover the answer because once you're done with this worksheet you can go here to the class library I just got a new book on rocks and minerals that I'm sure you'll like and don't forget I'm really looking forward to seeing you use your PowerPoint technology to present on gems to the class so you know it's just Complementing those in, internally, what gets them motivated, what gets them fired up and extrinsically, what are they going to want to produce that, or, or what reward or accolade, or what are they going to want to receive that motivates them and gets them excited?
1: And that's like a great example of how you could just connect something small that they're into, just into everyday classrooms. And I know that, like I've used that when I was with my first graders, Literally that, oh, you wanna be a scientist? This is what scientists Mm -hmm. do, you know? (laughs) Let's try it out in this way. Mm -hmm. Are there any specific challenges or barriers that gifted learners face in maintaining their motivation and achieving their potential?
0: Yes, definitely. (laughs) There are challenges and barriers and they're based on the learner's unique nature and needs. It comes from the general gifted characteristics of uneven development and asynchronous learning. You'll see it for perfectionism or the fear of failure. I have to be perfect at everything because if I'm not, I don't feel I can live up to the expectations. And that's scary. There's boredom on the other side. You know, I already know this stuff. I can learn this stuff. very quickly. I don't want to sit here and have to hear it over and over again with the rest of my peers. So they tune out. There's the challenges and barriers with their skill sets, organizational skills, study skills. They can be all over the place and not know how to properly study and work through things. They just want to go from point A to point B directly. And so you have to work through those challenges and those barriers. A lot of them f- see themselves as like their own little island. They're isolated. They don't think there's anybody else like them or that thinks like them or feels like them. There's effort. Some will put forth effort. Others feel like I'm, I don't need to put forth the effort because I'm not interested in this or I already know this. So why bother? Why try? The mindset. So you want them to work to have a growth mindset, but a challenge or a barrier is sometimes a gifted learner comes to you and they don't have that mindset and they don't understand how you develop abilities and how you get to move forward. They just think I either have it or I don't. And if I don't have it, then I give up. If I have it, great, I move on. And it's a simple or black and white to them as that. Relationships too, that can be a challenge or barrier. If there's nobody around them that's like-minded or that they can relate to, again, they go back to that they're on their own island or they are their own island, they're isolated. So what you really have to do to help them understand that you don't always have to directly go from point A to point B, That's we can work through this, is you have to teach them so that they can learn processes and persistence. Everything is a life lesson.
1: It just makes me think about a few students that I have where they were like, Mr. Rose, this is too easy. Mr. Rose, this is too easy. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, what would you like to learn? You know, here are some options of things like what will suit your fancy. And we get to it and we're figuring it out together. I'm like, the only deal with this is if I don't know the math, we have to figure it out together. That's the rule. (laughs) So (laughs) we're trying to do it. And then they're finally like, wait, I don't know how to do this. I don't want this. I'm not coming to the class. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) This is exactly where I want you to be. Because if you are not thinking and growing and learning, then I'm not doing my job. Exactly. I want you to get stumped and then keep going. So I just feel it. I'm also thinking about the six different types of gifted learners from the Davidson Institute. That was a big part of my studying for the praxis and learning more about these mm-hmm. kiddos, and I think that a lot of them are also masking to a point where they don't want to be on their island. They want to be with everyone else on the mainland. And so, yeah. I don't try to motivate me, please. I don't want to achieve, so I could just be, quote unquote, normal.
0: Yep, you're right. I think to me, I've always felt like there's two ways to look at the gifted. There's the achievers that just go for it and love to go above and beyond and can go above and beyond. And then there's the underachievers. And that's the area that I'm studying right now in my doctoral research. And those are the gifted learners. And you know that's 50% of the gifted population, which in my opinion is an at-risk population. Um, Because, you know, when half of a population is struggling or not Mm -hmm. reaching their full potential, we need to step in and really intervene. So when you're talking about underachievers, you talk about learners that tend to shut down, act out, they start hating school. They can, as they get older, they drop out, you know, they don't want to come to class, they don't want to come to school. And you see them suffering from some mental health issues like depression or anxiety. And the only way I think that you can combat that is you really have to work on that growth mindset. You, they have to learn resilience. They have to learn how to problem solve. They have to learn self-reflection and goal setting. Like you were saying, they have to be comfortable within themselves and know that it's okay to push and move forward. And it's the support system is just essential too. They require those appropriate supports, like emotional support. They need the peer and mentor groups. They need that positive feedback, focusing on their strengths rather than areas that are harder for them or, you know, weaknesses. And they're looking for those enrichment opportunities. They're looking for differentiated instruction. So yeah, I, that's how I see gifted overall as far as learning.
1: Yeah. So I'm thinking, this is opinion from Alexia. Um, (laughs) I, I feel like in larger counties, there's a lot of ways to connect these scholars with other learners that are like them. So for communities that do not have as many students identified as gifted, what do they do to help find similar peers?
0: I think for those you know small schools or small school systems utilizing flexible grouping mm-hmm. is a big help. So it might not be somebody in your classroom but there could be somebody around that you can work with. I think flexible grouping and technology being what it is now especially what we've seen with COVID being able to zoom with somebody or you know uh, meet online or have a virtual conversation that's big too for these smaller systems. I think to creating individualized learning plans for them so that the system and specialists and people that they come in contact know more about them and can refer to it and, and say, okay, maybe we don't have, like I was doing with the geologist example earlier, maybe we don't have somebody that's necessarily interested in geology around your age or your level but we've got this teacher over here that is, and oh gosh, you can go talk to that person and connect their experience and learn from them. You know, what were things that they thought they did well to get to where they are? What are some areas they wish they could back up and do better? So, you know, there's just making those connections and going and emphasizing that process over product. I think in these smaller systems is important too, making sure they understand you know, the learning is that process. Learning is not always about the product and giving them opportunities to do that. That's, you know, STEM fairs, robotics competitions, theater arts, performing arts, so that they understand and can work with people like them or people that understand them better.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think these are all great ideas, not only for gifted learners, but for all of our learners in the classroom. All of these things could benefit any child that walks through those doors. So it's all good stuff. I'm like, yeah, this is for gifted kids, but like all teachers need to listen to this because everyone can take and bite off really important pieces.
0: Well, and I think to what you're saying, the whole goal of an educator is you are developing their talents and their abilities. So if you're using best practices to do that, you are going to be able to find and identify more and more high ability, high potential, advanced, exceptional learners. And putting these tools in your toolkit, you'll know what to do with them, how to work with them, and how to support them.
1: Is there anything else you'd like to add about what we could do to motivate those learners, when they
0: do, in the moment, have a setback? I think in my head, and I've worked with educators on stop, look, and listen. It's so simple. You know, primary students learn that about crossing the street or coming Mm -hmm. to something. So I feel like when you come to a challenge or a barrier, you stop, look, and listen. So educators need to stop Understand the situation instead of just perceiving it, but really take that deep dive in. Look at the individual academically and social, emotionally, and then just take the time to listen to them. Find out why they feel challenged. What are those barriers and how can we create a plan that's going to help you overcome so that you can achieve and feel motivated to do better and reach your full potential? Do you have an academically talented child who's looking for a challenging and exciting summer program? Summer Institute for the Gifted provides innovative academic programs for exceptional students from all over the world. Enroll now at some of the top universities in the country, including UNC Chapel Hill, for courses like robotics, creative writing, and neuroscience. These courses are designed to engage and inspire your child, allowing them to grow into the next best version of themselves. To learn more and enroll, visit our website at giftedstudy.org.
1: Can you share with us any research or studies that highlight effective practices for motivating and supported gifted learners that maybe our listeners can go check out?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There are so many gifted gurus out there. Mm-hmm. One that comes to mind right away is uh, Dr. Carol Dweck. She does the growth mindset, and what she talks about in her studies is just finding out that a person's abilities are a work in progress, and they can be developed. And that's you know the whole goal of the growth mindset is you are always going to strive to be better and you can learn processes to get there and strategies to help you. Let's see, Dr. Joseph Renzulli, Dr. Sally Reese, they do what's called the school-wide enrichment model, SEM, and that model is for just talent development and improving academic achievement. It helps with engagement and uh, it's about personalizing your learning and activities to help those learners meet their needs.
1: And speaking of the- Rinzuli, they have a learning program, and if you're a member of NCAGT, you get a few months free. I believe so. Yeah, so Rinzuli cool
0: Learning, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that program differentiates for you. So it gives them like a a survey that they take in the beginning that asks, what are your interests? What are your learning styles? What are your goals? And once it calculates all of it, puts the algorithm together, it will start pushing out content and curriculum for them to use. And they can use it from what I understand, like at home, in school, anywhere. So that's great.
1: Super cool.
0: (laughs) Talking about Renzulli too. Dr. Renzulli, he did the three ring conception of giftedness. That one shows like how giftedness occurs. And it says that three basic traits, human traits have to come together. And one of those traits includes motivation and achievement. He terms it task commitment. So that's a really good one too, to just see how somebody can become gifted and talented and what it takes. There's Dr. Sylvia Rim. Dr. Rim created the trifocal model for reversing underachievement. And in that, she breaks it down step by step. And what what you do with her trifocal model for reversing underachievement is you look at the needs of the learner, you identify them as an underachiever, and then you look at the needs of the learner. And then you work to, uh, it, it's very like targeted, you work to create goals with your support team to reverse that underachievement. So that's a good one. The last one I can think of um, is Dr. Del Siegley and Dr. D Betsy McCoach, they did the achievement orientation model, the AOM. And that explains what factors motivate students to achieve in school. So I think those areas really target, not areas, but those research studies really target motivation and achievement, and if you have an underachiever, what to do to reverse it.
1: And I'll make sure to um, share those names in our show notes. And if there's any specific links or anything that you really love, I'll also add those in there as well. Um, Perfect, thank you. So they can check it out. Um, One more thing about underachievement is that about 50% of our gifted learners experience underachievement. So takeaway tips for teachers on how to encourage them and manage their needs in the classroom on a day-to-day basis while juggling all the
0: other things that they do? <laughs> it's creating that supportive environment. And when you are creating that supportive environment, what you're looking for is a safe space for s- learners to ask questions and feel comfortable in their own skin to just be themselves. When you create that safe space, the next step is to create the relationships, the positive relationships with your students. When you create those positive relationships with the students, then again, you're taking that deep dive into them and you're learning about them and how they learn. And once you understand their interests and their goals and their hopes and their dreams, you use that to create personalized learning opportunities, enrichment opportunities, acceleration opportunities to push them into paths that they're interested in and want to know more about. When you do all of those things, it's, you know, you're a bowl and you're mixing it all together. Get the great environment, get to know the students, utilize what you know about them within content and personalize it. And you're going to have students be excited about coming to school learning, growing, developing, and sharing experiences with each other. So I think that really will combat any lack of motivation or underachievement because they, they're seen, they're recognized, and they appreciate and want to be there.
1: Um, it reminds me of something I've done since my first year, which is win time, what I need time. Um, and if it, that is a perfect opportunity for them to do deep dives into what is going to fill their passion and fill that need for them. Um, yeah. So like a real tip for teachers on how they can do that, Abby. Super cool.
0: Yeah, I I when I was teaching, I would we had notebooks and I would meet with them. Sometimes there were some that I would meet with more. Again, you know, it's based on mm-hmm. the students and their needs. Most of the times I would meet once a week and we would just do check-ins. We'd do goal setting we would do reflection, we would do uh, what's coming up and how to get prepared for it. And then we would do what's, what social emotional strategy do I need to focus on? Am I really going to focus on you know, just calming down or am I going to focus on my manners and respect? It, it just depended, but those were really powerful. And I think if more educators took that time to sit down and do that, It would make the content better. It would make their experience with their kids and in their classrooms better. And it makes students feel good about school.
1: So shout out to all admin and teachers out there. Take the time for the kids. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I feel like we're always like... It'll save you time in the long run.
0: (laughs) Yes, it will. You're always going to have somebody say, that's just more work. That's just one more thing. And I just don't view it like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's more work. That alleviates a lot of the work that you might have to do. It's, again, being proactive rather than Mm -hmm. reactive. And it it really does benefit. I had a parent one time. um, We had the beginning of the year conferences, and Mm -hmm. I had started to get to know the students and I had a parent of a, a gifted child actually come to tears in our conference in our meeting because instead of me just putting out numbers and data about their child, I was talking to them about their child. I was sharing their feelings, their hopes, their dreams, and how I could utilize that in education and in the classroom setting. Mm-hmm. And it brought them to tears because they said nobody, up to that point, had taken the time with their child to really get to know them. And I was doing that. And it it was really a moment that I'll never forget because the parents, the guardians of gifted learners, it's difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's challenging for them to figure out how to work with their child. And when you see that, recognize that and say, I'm helping you, you know, we are a support team. We're doing this together. We're in this together we i want the best for your child just like you do that is huge
1: mm-hmm. and
0: you just are a green light for whatever needs to be done to help that child be successful
1: that's so powerful for that family too to get to have you and have that
0: conversation with you yes uh, so i think that's something i just love to say to educators and people learning about the gifted in general is It's so much more than numbers and data and scores. It's because they are just so unique and it's hard to generalize. You generalize, but it's hard to do it. You really have to explore them because the exploration leads to amazing things. And who doesn't
1: want to spend time getting to know their
0: kids, you know? That's so fun. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I'm like, i you like just... with
0: them for 180 days I love the saying and I used to send an email at the end of the year that once I've taught your kids their family your family now we've been together we've made it through the hard times the good times we've celebrated we've cried we've laughed you know all of it and yeah we're family
1: without using any names could you provide an example of a gifted student profile
0: There was a child I had in a class one year who blew my mind. They knew eight languages and they could learn a language so quickly, like within a week, they could know how to communicate in that language. They were very verbal and very communicative. Another great example for that was, I would be putting up a writing prompt. I was an ELA teacher and I would be putting up a writing prompt and before I could explain how I wanted the writing prompt to be formatted and what I wanted them to do and what the grammar and mechanics should look like, that person was already handing me two pages. They'd already written well above the expectations and wanted to write me more and you know, would just share with me. I've already done what you asked, but can I write about this now? Can I add this? Could we do this? And so they were just thirsty for learning. And my husband, same thing. He loves to learn. Google, Reddit, those are his best friends (laughs) because he wants to know the why and the how. He wants to delve deeper into information. He wants the information. He wants to be provided that. But he wants to know the mechanics of it. Why, how, how does this work? Why is it like that? And that other student was the same, just with anything verbal or communicative. Why do we do that? How does that look? And just questions. Uh, There was another student I had who, he was the sponge and I was the water. He would stare at me and just take information that I was giving in class in verbatim. He could remember everything that I was saying, doing, thinking out loud. It was amazing. And after every lesson, almost every day, he would come up to me and say, so, if we were to take that one step further, what would, you know, what would that look like? So if you said this today, what about this? And he, the gears were always turning, mm-hmm. and he would just its so excited. He loved the information, he loved somebody up there sharing their knowledge so that he could soak it in. Um, another kind of like opposite one is I had another student in a class who always had their nose in a book. And I would allow that person to be reading a book. But at a certain point, I'd be like, hey, and I did that one day. I called the person out and said, hey, can you put the book away? I don't think you're, you know, here with us. I don't think you're paying good attention. And that person proved to me that their gift was multitasking because they said, oh, you just talked about blah, 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 blah. And yeah, while I'm reading, I'm hearing everything. And it made me have to up my game. Because if it was that unchallenging, I needed to do more for that person, that if they could read a book and remember and know everything I'm talking about, I got to step it up. Now, there are some teachers that in that situation may have said, oh, you know, this is wrong and this is bad, and I don't know what else to do. I'll just, you know, discipline you for not paying attention. That's not the answer with our gifted need, that push. And you need to take those moments and say, that's a teachable moment for me. I need to reflect on that and I need to get better for that person. I don't need to shut my mind down, lock the door and say, yeah, they're just not, they're not with me. They don't get it. No, I need to understand them. I need to open it up and see how do I stay with them? How do I run that marathon with them? And how do I make sure they're getting it and going above and beyond? And then the last student, that I can think of (laughs) goes along with that. I was teaching and I noticed the student for a long time looking out the window. And I said to the student, hey, can you come back to us? I think you're daydreaming, you're out there at the window. What are you thinking about? And the student looked at me and said, black holes. I'm thinking about black holes. And I'm thinking about right now, if we were to have a black hole open up, would we get sucked into another dimension? if we were to get sucked into another dimension, what would we look like? And would it have color? Would it be black and white? I'm just curious. And I just sat there dumbfounded, like my mouth dropped. And I was thinking, wow, this person is in the primary grades, has obviously read like Stephen Hawking or something about black holes and is daydreaming about what would happen if space sucked us out that was just a deep thought amazing yeah and so instead of again being the reaction of a teacher no you're you haven't been paying attention I said that is great information stick with me on this lesson that we're doing right now and I'm going to come talk to you afterwards Mm -hmm. and I did I found out they were reading Stephen Hawking books they were reading all about the cosmos they were reading about space travel and aeronautics and What's the future looking like? And it was just amazing. And so I knew from that moment, the daydreaming, I'm going to let that happen. That's pretty unique Mm -hmm. and interesting as long as you can come back. And so we had to talk about the process and the expectations of I got to reel you in sometimes, but that is really neat that you want to talk about that. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to talk about it, learn about it and go with it. But you got to stay with me too. So yeah, just gifted. So different but i think the biggest takeaway for gifted is their precociousness, their curiosity and their love of learning. And, and you know that really is a good wrap up for them. i also question what happens what happens to gifted adults. we support them and we help them throughout their educational career, but when they get into the work world, how are we supporting them? what happens there? Do they become underachievers in the work world? You know, can they stay on track? What does that look like? So I think more longitudinal studies are needed Mm -hmm. to find out how we can support gifted adults too.
1: Yeah. All of these gifted kids that we experience are going to turn into gifted adults and it doesn't go away because the program ends. So I agree. We definitely need to look into that more. I should do some research. Mm -hmm. Are there any studies out?
0: saying the social emotional needs of the gifted. They are really trying to focus on going beyond K through 12 and and secondary education and see what's going on with the the adult gifted individuals. So I think the research is going to come from some of the experts over there. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen a lot out there. That doesn't mean there isn't some, but I think they're really going to be focusing in on that here in the years to come.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Definitely keep it up for that. I love doing this podcast to share information, but selfishly, I'm also here just to absorb. <laughs> so, Brianne, how can our listeners get in contact with you?
0: They can reach me via email. So my email is my name. It's Brianne, B-R-I-A-N-E, dot hudak, H-U-D-A-K, at gmail.com. And I also have my educational consulting webpage, and that is helpmehudak.com.
1: Awesome, thank you. Um, and then the last question that we love to ask all of our guests is about the term giftedness. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can create a divide um, since it to misconceptions, and sometimes it can prevent students from being identified because they don't check all the boxes. So do you think the term gifted is problematic? And if so, would you rename it?
0: I love that. I think that is a great question. It's been subject to debate over the years. Mm -hmm. I think any problematic situations come from outside perception and interpretation. I think it's all about who you're talking to if you were talking to a 2E student that was waiting for somebody to identify them as gifted because then they could unleash their full talents and abilities, they would, they would love that term. If you're talking to an identified gifted student that is now receiving a better education with like-minded peers because they were identified, I think that they'd be very happy about that. If you're speaking to experts or specialists, and just the gifted community—parents, guardians—who see these individuals for who they are and love their gifts—I uh, don't think that would be proper for them. Personally, I like to add on gifted and talented, so that individuals with other abilities, like They might excel in leadership or athletics or musical talent or creativity are not overlooked. I think adding gifted and talented, that part to it is more just inclusive. It includes more people. And so, yeah, I, I think it's all about who you're talking to.
1: Is there anything that we talked about that you would like to add on to or anything that we maybe haven't mentioned that you'd like to speak on? I think
0: my next question is where do we go from here in gifted education and identifying gifted learners and individuals? And what I talk about is to go from here, we have to advocate and bring about awareness. Um, One thing that I'm working on right now is establishing a NCHET page chapter, Partners for the Advancement of Gifted Education, um, and just getting people involved in the community and knowing that there's support and knowledge and training out there. Um, I think in schools, we need better professional development in, in schools and in institutions so that people are trained and educated on this special population. And we need better programming in the schools that uh, are based on best practices for these learners. Where else can we go from here? I think we need to do further studies. Now I'm putting my doctorate hat on. We need to do further studies on effectively supporting this at-risk population. Like we talked about earlier, when 50% of a population is underachieving, and that's just ones that have been identified. Mm-hmm. You don't know you know, what's going on in everybody's mind or, or how it affects you throughout your life. H- how do we intervene and what does that look like? Another one with where do we go from here is how do we close the gap with diversification, equity, and inclusion? And I think the way we do that is we identify more students and we intervene more. And I've talked about it a little bit, but being mindful of, again, academic and social emotional needs is imperative. If you're only focused on one and not getting to know the entire person, you don't have a holistic understanding and you need one for these individuals. So I think that's, you know, just where do we go from here and what's next? And, you know, I think when we're talking about gifted, there's questions that I always ask in my head with people that assume they'll be fine. And it's, you know, if you're able to perceive things with more intensity and think outside the box, then why would others not want to help those people harness their gifts and use them to benefit or positively impact society? I mean, that would be just Mm -hmm. amazing Going back to my research, so in current leadership research, organizations are looking now for people that are curious. They want people that are creative. They want people that are self-motivated or self-directed. They're looking for critical thinkers. They want problem solvers, and they want people that can keep up with the demands of our ever-changing world and it's just when i hear that i'm like huh that sounds like the gifted yep. ding, ding, ding. so uh-huh. i firmly believe that gifted individuals are our leaders and i want others to and i think we have to make sure that we do not accept that they're fine and we allow this population people that you know love this population and want to talk about this population and not let them slip through the cracks because there's more to unlock. We just have to look, we got to listen and we've got to give them the keys and show them the way. And I was just thinking off of that too. It's baffling to me that there's not more discussion or interest in our schools regarding the gifted and talented. And I wonder if that's perhaps because of intimidation, because somebody is smarter than me or more than me or think differently than me, or if it's ignorance just to the population and their nature and needs. And if that lack of understanding is also a challenge and a barrier like you were asking about earlier, does that affect their achievement and motivation because there's things that stand in their way. So I think, you know, with society evolving and shifting to become more open to others and understand backgrounds and needs, I think this is really an opportune time to advocate for the gifted and talented and create that equity in their education.
1: Mm -hmm. Being around gifted learners is humbling. Yes. and you have to create space for yourself to be humbled just like we create space safe spaces for those kids so we need to allow ourselves to do that too I think
0: it's a great takeaway
1: yep indeed thanks for spending time with me today
0: that sounds good again thank you for having me I really appreciate this opportunity yeah. I enjoyed my time with you and you am happy to support NCAGT or your podcast and continue to adv- advocate for these individuals.
1: And there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of They'll Be Fine. Please consider leaving a 5-star rating or review on whatever platform you're listening on. We are taking a brief break to recharge and we will be back in the fall for more new episodes see you soon